0: Hello and welcome to the Every Nation Twane Moycliffe podcast. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message with us. It's a great privilege this morning to be sharing and continuing with our series. Who has been enjoying our series? Yes, there we go. I am Jonah, but don't be Jonah, okay? But we are Jonah. We tend to be Jonah, that's our nature, is we want to go straight to being Jonah. And that's why we named the series, I Am Jonah. And it's where we're looking at the life of Jonah, we realize we're not so different from him. But in spite of who we are, and in spite of who Jonah was, God is still providing. His provision, last week we spoke about His provision is still incredible. His salvation we're talking about this week. His compassion next week. We're seeing so much of God's character. Let's do a quick recap. Week one, uh, Philip shared on the rebellious servant. So God comes to Jonah. He calls Jonah. He commissions Jonah. Go Jonah to a lost city of foreigners and share the message with them because I want to destroy them because their evil have come before me. And Jonah rebels. He doesn't just rebel. He max level rebels. Like he goes as far as he possibly can away from God's will. And so God disrupts, um, God's grace disrupts his plans. And it leads to the salvation of sailors who were sinners. So God was good. And then in week two, last week, we spoke about God's provision how God responds to Jonah's rebellion, and therefore also our rebellion, how does He respond, and how does He move us back from our own will, our rebellion, back into His will? And we saw that God does a couple of things. He disrupted Jonah's plans by sending this storm. He provided the fish. The, word, the scripture says, "God provided a fish to swallow Jonah." My goodness. Right, but Jonah was going to drown. He was there was certain death, he was going to drown. He accepted he was going to drown. God disrupted his plans, but then God provided the fish, he saves Jonah. Jonah goes through a belly period. We enjoyed our belly period talking about the belly period last week. It's basically just uh, a, a phrase that I used to say when you go through that really rock bottom time, you know, when you reach rock bottom, you realize you need to humble yourself, turn back to God. Jonah has that moment uh, and God hears, God answers Jonah. He speaks to the fish, the fish vomits him back onto dry land, right? He went from stability, God's will, to the ocean, instability, And the fish vomits him back onto dry land, back stability into God's wall. So this week, that's where we're picking it up. Jonah is probably smelling a little bit fishy. He's on the beach and, uh, and the fish just vomited him out. And there he is. And that's where we are this week. And we're going to look at God's salvation. And the question I actually want you to think about is, to what extent will God go to save? To what extent will he go to save? And is there anyone that is beyond his salvation? Is there anyone beyond his salvation? So let's look at that. Jonah chapter 3. I put the whole Jonah chapter 3 and it'll be good for you to keep it open at Jonah chapter 3 throughout the whole sermon. Because I'm constantly referring back to the scripture. Let's read verse 1 to 10. I said, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey. And he called out. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. Removed his robe. Covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent, turn from His fierce anger, so that we may not be perished. So when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Okay. First point I want to make from the scripture is God saves despite reluctant servants. Now there's two elements in the scripture that shows uh, Jonah was still reluctant. He was still reluctant. First thing, you see that the city was exceedingly large. Uh, It was considered that a day's journey was about 20 miles. 20 miles, 32 kilometers. That's what a person would walk in a day. This city was three days. Now, we've got excavations. Nineveh was not this large, but the district of Nineveh was, which constituted a couple of cities. But even if it was just the city of Nineveh, to get a message... To every single person in another would take three days. Jonah, how long did he spend sharing his message? One day. He just spent one day. So in other words, he didn't just do a half job, he did a third job, right? Now, I don't know when, when someone works in your house or works for you, works for your company, you've got a lot of businessmen here. If someone constantly is known for doing a third of their job, you're going to continue employing them? If you knew before you appointed someone that their reputation is they do third jobs that's what they do would you employ them but God still employed Jonah he knew Jonah would do a third job but secondly not only did Jonah do an incomplete job did you guys see what Jonah's message was my goodness it's a it's a terrible message it's terrible. Look at this, verse 4. Yet 40 days, and none of us shall be overthrown. That, that, does not, that doesn't sound very gracious. I mean, there's, there's no grace. It's doom and gloom. There's no reason. He gives no reason for the destruction. He, he doesn't give an explanation of how they will be destroyed or anything. He doesn't call to repentance. He get, doesn't give them a way to avert the destruction. It's, in the Hebrew, the message was five words. And that's it. That's all he said. Now, okay, there were some cultural understandings amongst the different nations. Assyria, they would understand. I mean, you look at their response, you know, the sackcloth and ash, you would have read that also in the Old Testament. You would have seen David when the kings mourn, they do that. It's, there's a couple of things that probably you would, the culture would understand to do in order to try and avert uh, judgment or danger, But Jonah makes no connection between his message and these things. There's no, and even if he did, the writer chose to exclude it. Like in my opinion, if you look throughout the Bible and you look at people preaching messages from God, in my opinion, this is probably the worst one in the Bible. Like this is really, it's really terrible. Now to make matters worse, okay, Jonah had just had an encounter with God's grace and mercy. And he's acting in a way that looks like he doesn't want Nineveh to be saved. When you look a chapter on from here, Jonah doesn't want Nineveh to be saved. He doesn't want God to... Re- he doesn't want this. He wants them to perish. He wants God's judgment to come. But he just... A chapter earlier, he, he just experienced God's grace. He was encountered with his own rebellion. God disrupts. Then, miracle, fish swallows him. He lives. Three days in a place where, scientifically, there's no oxygen. So God provides oxygen inside the fish. And God reinstitutes his calling. So here is a man who is living in the grace of God, trying to keep it for other people. keep Keep it away from other people. One commentator says this. He says, here Jonah was, living in the shadow of God's grace over him, making it as difficult as he possibly could for the Ninevites to experience the same kind of grace. He's doing a third job. He's giving a graceless message, and that's all in light of experiencing grace. Now, I mean, come on. Surely you can, you can forgive someone for being reluctant, right? Surely we can forgive someone for, for maybe, um, you know, doing a third job or someone who is who, uh, sharing the message wrong. You can forgive someone for that. But but I mean, you just experienced God's grace. You just had it. And now you're withholding it from other people. You, you just experienced his forgiveness, but you don't forgive. You just experienced God's provision, God's generosity, and now you're greedy. You've ju- you, you just experienced it. And now you, you withhold it. And that's not, that's not the only thing. Here's the kicker. Do you guys want to know the kicker? Here's the kicker. I am Jonah. We are Jonah. Jonah. This is what we tend to do in my life, Christian's life. God has freely forgiven me from every single sin that I have ever done. Yet I struggle to forgive the taxi that cuts me off. Like God has been so deeply generous to me in my life. There's been months where I would reach zero, zero, zero. About six, seven years ago, there would be nothing in my bank account. Nothing. I need to cut hair i need to buy groceries i feel god just said swipe just go i have no overdraft facility no credit there's zero i swipe the money goes through why i get home i see oh what what someone paid in like 15 minutes before i had to pay someone paid a little bit more than what i was going to pay for my groceries god was so generous to me throughout my whole life yet what was it five weeks ago That I preached the message on generosity and I repented before this whole church for my greed? Five weeks ago. When I was in grade 9, God sent His messages to me. Just a couple of months after I had blasphemed Him, I had rejected Him and decided to follow my own will, my own path. So that I might hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ and be saved. And yet, yet, I am reluctant to prioritize sharing His message. I'm reluctant to share the gospel. I, I, am, I am reluctant to, to prioritize just having conversations with people. I, you, I think of all the excuses. I was telling a story before <laughs> the service as a sound check. I was telling a story of Friday. What happened on Friday was I walked out of the gym, and uh, my hands are torn from the workout. It was a tough workout. I'm, I'm, I'm basically dead. I'm struggling to breathe. I'm nauseous. I'm I'm lightheaded. And right next to my car, there's a car parked with the window open. And God says, "Speak to that guy." I think, "Thank God, <laughs> not not now. <laughs> not now, This is really that's not funny. Like, I'm going home now. I'm, <laughs> I do not even I don't even have breath. You know. <laughs> but there's your breath in our lungs. You know. So so I get in my car and I'm like, no, I. I not now. Like I really, I, re- I, I cannot tell you how badly I do not want to speak to that to this guy now. Can't, I can't overemphasize it. <sighs> so he starts his car. I say, "Oh God, sorry." Look, as he goes now, I don't want to bother him now. And I feel God saying, "No, don't worry. I'll keep him here until you speak to him." <laughs> I'm thinking, yes, I really don't want to do this. I'm tired. I'm sweaty, but okay, I'll, I, I let my window down, and as I let my window down, he lets his window up. I said, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, now I, now I can't. His wife comes, she gets into the car, she looks across, she sees I'm looking at them, and she's like, I don't know, I have that face where like once a week someone tells me, I know you from somewhere, <laughs> right, so I see that she's going to do, she's going to be the one this week, she's going she's gonna to do that, I've got that face, and um. And they and they lay down the window, and this guy is a kind of guy. I say, said, Yay, hey, my bro. Your legs are going to get a thousand of you. I'm looking. I say, which is basically like, brother, it looks like you can't breathe right now. I say, I'm not getting any breath right now. I said, Look, and I'm literally in that moment. Now I finished preparing my sermon, and I, I'm like, I'm so Jonah right now. I basically tell him, like, I. I didn't want to do this, okay? But God said, I must ask you how you're doing if you want to go for a coffee next week. And he says, man, who comes <laughs> down on knee So, I sent him a WhatsApp. I invited him to church. Unfortunately, not here this morning, but it's okay. I'm trusting God and we'll see him for, the, for a coffee this week. Uh, I asked him about, you know, do you guys go to church? No, they don't go to church at the moment, but he'd like to. And, and it was a good conversation, but you, oh, it was so easy, it was so, like just asking, how are you doing, do you want to go for a coffee, it was already a better message than Jonah, right? If I was Jonah, I would have said there, <laughs> You know, that would have been the Jonah message, so don't, don't be Jonah, Okay. I didn't do that. I just asked him how he's doing. Do you want to go for a coffee? What church do you go to? Do you want to come on Sunday? Enjoy your day. That was a better message than John Okay, but here's the thing, okay? (laughs) God has been so faithful in bringing his message to me, but I am so reluctant. I look for all the excuses, everything in that moment. And man, when I I left there, just being obedient to God, being forced to be obedient to God, I was so grateful. But more than that, I mean... um, it is especially the people that have that have hurt us that we don't really want to want to want to bless. We don't want them to be saved. Um, and this is probably the reason why Jonah didn't want Nineveh to be saved. Um, Nineveh was in constant war with uh, Israel. They were, they were, there was unjust treatment. There was pillaging. There was rape towards the Israelites. So Jonah would have felt very justified in his judgment of Nineveh. He felt God was being just, and that's what he wanted to do. But In that moment, he was also taking God's role and deciding that he will choose who gets saved and who doesn't. And obviously, he had that moment in the fish where he says salvation belongs to God. He realized it and he he went, but he was still reluctant. He was still so reluctant. So whatever our reasons for our reluctance, maybe there's a couple of barriers that that you guys put up, that that we all put up. That makes us, we don't want to share Jesus. We don't want to share Jesus. We don't want to have, a, want to have conversations. Time is many times one of our excuses, right? Like, yes, I don't have time now if this conversation goes into 30 minutes. Like then I'm late for my next thing. And you know, like I need to go to the bathroom right now. So I can't. All of the excuses. All of the, whatever the reasons for our reluctance. No one is as justified to judge sinners and to pour out his judgment As God is. No one is as justified. It doesn't matter how much you have been hurt. By the person who hurt you. Whom you struggle to forgive. Whom you struggle to bless. That person first sinned towards God. Before they did towards you. And every single sin that happens in this world. Is first towards God. And only secondly towards people. No one is as justified. As God is. And yet. God says. Yet. Yet. He freely gives salvation because this is who He is. He is great grace. He is mercy. He saves despite our hypocrisy, despite our selfishness, our disobedience, despite our excuses, despite our not being able to breathe because we had a tough workout, despite our cultural differences, despite our discomforts, the, despite all of that, He still uses this terrible message from this reluctant, rebellious man to save a whole city, to save a whole district. God is not looking for your abilities. God is not looking for someone who can preach an elegant message. He's not looking for someone who, who is perfect. He's just looking for someone who says, I'm available. He's just looking for someone who says, okay, I'll go. Okay, I'll speak. That's all he's looking for. Philip also said in week one, God's not looking for your your abilities, but your availability. And he saves despite reluctant servants. Number two, God saves despite hardened sinners. Now, we don't know, um, we haven't shared in this sermon series much about Nineveh, so I'm going to share that now. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, okay? And Assyria, day, that's thats modern-day Iraq uh, is Assyria. Modern-day Nineveh would be across the Tigris River from where modern-day Mosul was. Now I don't know what you guys know about Mosul, but in 2014, ISIS... Uh, Strolled into Mosul with tanks and weapons. They set up a caliphate. They took the city. And Mosul was the capital city from where ISIS, the Islamic State, um, launched all of their operations and their wars on the rest of the world. That was in 2014. It lasted until 2017 when Mosul was liberated and if you think of Mosul in that way, like it's a, it's a, it's a war-torn place full of uh, radicals who murdered Christians, murdered anything, anyone and any, everything that, that disagreed with their philosophy, that disagreed with them. That feeling you get when you think of Mosul, people felt the same feeling when they th- thought about Nineveh. Okay? Because Nineveh, in the Bible, is regarded as the seat of the greatest enemy of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. The Bible considers Nineveh the seat of the greatest enemy of Israel and Judah. And most of the Bible references to Nineveh is to its impending fall. It's going to fall. And this is for good reason, because if we look at the historical documents of the Assyrians, it is nothing but a dry register of military campaigns, it is full of spoliations, which is to destroy or to take by violent means. It is, um, it is full of cruelties. Even this word in the scripture from verse 8, right? Every man, the king says, turn from your evil ways and your violence. Violence, that word, basically refers to the arbitrary infringement of human rights the arbitrary and intentional infringement of human rights. So basically what what Nineveh and Assyria would do is they would go, they would find out what is the right, like how do the, do the, the, the surrounding nations say that their people have rights to, then they would go, they would pillage, and they would do the exact opposite just because they wanted to. They were extremely violent towards other nations and especially Israel. And so the wickedness, just to put it into perspective, when Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, God says, their evil has come before me. It is with good reason. Like, it was bad. They were, they were terrible. It was terrible. Now, if you think, if you think that, that there might be, I mean, there's these kinds of, of sinners living among us, right? That is like, Man, they're, they're, they're so anti-God. They're like militaristically anti-God. They, they, they don't want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They intentionally uh, want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit because that's the sin that the Bible says cannot be forgiven. You get people who are so bad, murderers who justify. That, that's what we get today in our society. If you want to share Jesus with a person like that, you are almost certain that they will either shoot you Swear at you, reject you, but they will not, under any circumstances, receive Jesus Christ. Do you know people like that? Have you ever heard of people like that? But, but I mean, let's bring it maybe a little bit closer to them. Um, is there anyone in your life that you feel like, I, I see no way that this person can at all be saved? Anyone like that in your own lives? I've got a couple. I'll share a story about one of them now. That was Nineveh. They had no reason to receive the message. No reason to believe God. And yet, and yet, if you look at verse 5 tonight, it's five verses of not just one person, the whole city repenting, believing God, going against all odds. There was no reason. We have no, we, what? What? Scripture said they believed God. They responded in faith. The king of Nineveh, and he was actually, he's called the king of Nineveh, but he's actually the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria responded. He declares a citywide fast, a district-wide fast, mourning, praying, asking God to relent. And here's here's the big thing. Here's the big thing they did. They turned from their evil ways and their violence. They turned away from, there was sincere fear. Sincere repentance. They turned away from their evil ways. Israel was supposed to respond this way. When Jeremiah, a known prophet of God, which everyone acknowledged as the prophet of God, came to Israel and said, he preached a good message, which was, you guys are very evil, you're sinful, you're disobeying God, turn back and he will relent of the disaster. They threw him in prison. The Israelites who were supposed to respond this way persecuted and murdered their prophets. But the foreigners, who had no reason to respond this way, they were saved. And what we didn't know, and what Jonah also perhaps didn't know, is that behind the scenes, before Jonah went to Nineveh, God was busy working. God was busy working. Historically, this was the time when Assyria was not on the attack. They were on the defense. They faced wars with the Arameans, the Eurartians. There was widespread famine and there were a lot of internal revolts within Syria. And that's why maybe the king is referred to as the king of Nineveh and not the king of Assyria. Because there were, const- there were a couple of districts across Assyria. And in this time, these districts, these governors within these districts were, were, were starting to rule with impunity. They did not report back to the king anymore. There was revolts. They didn't care. And so, there was only a partial allegiance to Assyria and ashur Dan III, which was the king in this time. He probably already started seeing that his kingdom was slipping away from him. So, on top of this, in 763 BC, there was a full solar eclipse. A full eclipse of the sun. Now, two of the gods that the Assyrians Worshipped Ishtar and her, and her uh, uh, twin brother, what is Yutu or Yuru, something like that was his name. Yuru was the god of, so, of the sun, okay? And um, he also had to do with justice, with righteousness. So Jonah most probably went after this solar eclipse and said, and in the, in the midst of all of this turmoil, which he probably didn't know about, he just knew that they were leaving the Israelites alone, praise God. And in the midst of all of this turmoil in Assyria, he preaches this heartless message. And God had prepared their hearts. And God had been working. And God knew. And God God had been busy. And the Assyrians responded against all odds. Responded against all odds. And they were saved. Wow. You don't know what God is busy doing in the hardened of hearts. You don't know what he's busy doing with those people who actively reject him. You don't know. In 2013, I personally resolved to start praying for my mother until the day when she would commit her life to Jesus. Now, it was really difficult for me with my relationship with my mom and our faith. We had a great relationship, but with faith, when my mom was uh, she was diagnosed with ADHD. She's super, super hyperactive. Uh, she 's probably the biggest extrovert that I know, like she you do not understand when she comes to visit in october the twenty second of october she 's going to be here at the service, and uh, she 'll probably get to know half of all of you uh, before the service starts okay so is my mom? absolutely adore my mom, but she was like that as a nine-year-old as well, and she was in the in a traditional church, and when she was not able to sit still, she was given a hiding over and over and over, and the day that she could decide not to go to church, she chose not to go to church, and from since that day, she was 18 years old, and she was independent, she never ever ever went back to church ever again. She would call herself a Christian, she would say that she believes in Jesus, but only because she, it was such a strong cultural narrative that she, that's, that's what she would say. So anytime I would speak to her about it, yeah, 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 and then she, she changes the topic, yeah, yeah, and she, she just doesn't want to speak about it. On top of that, I was an immature Christian, so I said a lot of things to her about God that would, that would just put her off, that put her off, okay? So in 2013, I started praying for her. Back then, she was dating a Mormon. Uh, a person, the, the Mormonism is, is a cult. It's a, it's a spin-off Christianity, uh, and it's actually uh, to such a point where they're polytheists now. But she was married to a Mormon. This guy was not very receptive to, to any uh, spiritual conversation. Uh, well, sorry, not married. They were dating. She was staying with him. And for seven years, this was, the, this was the situation. And then something happened. The world was thrown into a worldwide pandemic. My mom was in South Africa when the lockdown was announced. She, back then, they both stayed in the UK. She stayed with him in the UK. And she was working in the UK. But the UK, everyone was in lockdown. And there was one more flight out of South Africa. And my mom was, and her boyfriend was booked on it. And she said, I've got nothing to do in the UK. I'm going to stay here. And he said, he's going. And they separated. And in that time, my mom was here for about 10 months. In that 10 months time, God gave my mom the courage to break up with him opened her eyes to abuse that she was facing in the relationship. My mom started asking about Jesus Christ. My wife and I could testify to her. Uh, She came to our wedding day. And at our wedding, it was an incredible celebration of God's goodness. She saw what community I am part of. She got to meet many people. And um, in that 10 months, God completely transformed her life. To the point when she moved back to the Netherlands. She, she she moved to the Netherlands in January of twenty twenty one. She joined our Utrecht church plant, which she is a part of. My mom is in a cunei group, she's busy being discipled. My mom attends victory training. My mom goes to church. For seven years I prayed for my mom. For seven years. And I had no idea what God was doing behind the scenes. But he was working. He was preparing. He was busy. He knew. And I asked him, God, if one thing, even if it cost me my life, but please let my mom stand next to me when we stand before your throne. Let my mom stand next to me. Guys, in this passage we see that it doesn't, it doesn't matter how hardened the sinner might be. It doesn't matter how, how uh, hopeless a situation might seem. God saves. He's constantly at work. He's working to draw people to himself. That's, that's his will. He's deeply concerned with every person that is alienated from Him. And we either work with Him in His mission or we work against Him in His mission. But He will save despite reluctant servants and despite hardened sinners. So is there anyone beyond beyond God's salvation? My final point, number three. God saves to the utmost. Verse 10 it says, thanks VR. Verse 10 it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster. He didn't do it. He would be totally justified, but he was moved by the response. Relents of the disaster, saves the most hardened of sinners with the most terrible of messages. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, Consequently, this is, this is speaking about Jesus Christ. Okay, fast forward to the good servant. The good servant who was not reluctant, who came to earth, who shared the message, who got killed for the message as if he was the greatest rebel. That good servant, Jesus Christ. This is what Hebrews 7 verse 25 says about Jesus Christ right now. It says, consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through Him. Since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ interceding. You see, when servants were being rebellious, Jesus was busy interceding for the Father to move the Jonahs back into His will. When servants stop praying for sinners to be saved, Jesus doesn't. Faithfully and fervently intercedes with his Father. When sinners are hardened, rejecting God, Jesus is busy interceding that God may use any means necessary that all might be saved. Because of this, do you understand that because of Jesus' obedience, because of his intercession, because of his faithfulness, God can use anyone who is available. To save anyone who would draw near to him. Because of Jesus, God can use anyone who is available to save anyone who would turn to him. Anyone. The question is is anyone beyond God's salvation? No, no one is. No one who would turn to Christ would be rejected. Because Jesus is interceding, because Jesus is faithful, because Jesus saved. Now, here's my question: when you look at Jesus Christ, will you join him? Will you love him by reaching out to anyone and everyone in your life? Yes, we are Jonah, but Jesus was not because Jesus is not here we sit and we can be saved so if you're here this morning maybe let's take a moment let's all close our eyes feel that breeze Bible sometimes sign of the Holy Spirit's presence I believe he's here maybe you're, you're, you're here this morning you're the hardened sinner God has been drawing near to you he's been he's been using ways to call you back to him, he's been disrupting your life he's been working behind the scenes and you are the hardened sinner and you have never ever in your life responded to the message of salvation that God says come back to me, turn to my son Jesus, he gave his life that you might be saved and you want to be saved here this morning, would you be willing to stand so we can pray with you if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus you want to do that this morning praise God God is calling you back you're the hardened sinner praise God can I ask everyone with the, the people that are standing right now. You, you pray this prayer with me. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. Let's respond to God. let say, Holy Father, you can all say it after me. Say, Holy Father, thank you that today I can hear about your grace and your goodness. Thank you that Jesus Christ was the faithful servant who lived perfectly in my place, died horribly in my place, that I might be saved. And this morning, Lord, I give you my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Save me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. second people last week, about 90% of this church responded and said, God, use me. I'm available. Now, I'm still trusting for the other 10% who did not stand. But I know of the 90% last week who said, God, use me. Within this week, God wanted to. And you had excuses. (laughs) And that's also me. I had excuses. I think this is a good moment for us a church to continue to say, God, no matter my excuse, no matter my reluctance, I'm available. If you're saying that, will you stand? If you're saying, God, use me. Really (laughs) now. I'm going to continue with this commitment. Even though I struggle, even though I'm reluctant, I'm committed. Send me, use me. Praise God. Close our eyes, let's pray. Father, before you, you see an army, a multitude, a congregation. Of people saying, Lord, it doesn't matter what are the moments, whether I am tired, nauseous, lightheaded, dying, use me. I am available. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, by your spirit right now, break every single barrier, every false belief, every doubt, every excuse. Father, no, you are in the mission field. And if we are hungry, Experience, that's another uh, excuse we give, Father. We say, but, but we are empty. I am feeling empty. God must first pour into me before I can pour into other people. Lord, here's the truth. We want to find you. We will find you on mission. You are on mission. You're busy working. You're leading people to you. You're reaching hearts. This is what you are doing. That is where you are at, and we will find you there. And the incredible thing about your gospel, Lord, is that as we pour out, you pour in exponentially more. Father, I pray for faith to rise in this place this morning. I pray for people who will walk out here, who will pray for people. I pray that you will break our hearts for the people who don't know you, for people who are, who are currently on a road that is away from you, who are broken and in need of your salvation. Break our hearts for those people, Lord. Now we pray and fervently intercede. There is a people. We are ready. We will go. Use us. We are not Jonah. We are sons and servants of Jesus Christ, the faithful servant, the faithful Jonah. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. Oh, and we all pray in Jesus' name, everyone's name. Amen. And that concludes today's message. For more information, visit our website at www.everynationswane.org forward slash that's evernashentwane.org forward slash Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Till next time then.